Welcome to Sympathy for the Devil, a podcast about addiction with James Marshall and Adam Manovic. What is addiction? In this podcast, we explore addiction in its many and varied forms, from sugar to love, from alcohol to gambling, from work to sex. You can get addicted to heroin and alcohol, but can you get addicted to your phone or computer game? In this podcast, we talk to people whose lives have been affected by addiction. This is a program that explores what is and what it means to be addicted. Warning, the content of this program contains material that some people might find disturbing. Today we're talking about treatment, and uh, I guess we always talk about rehab on Sympathy for the Devil, but what is it really? Uh, what works, what doesn't? Uh, we always say people have to be ready when they enter rehab. Um, you know, what does that mean, have you, ever, have you ever thought of doing rehab? I know you haven't, but have you done rehab? No. 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 Oh, I've done, I've done Gamblers Anonymous. Yeah, right. Okay. But that's not, got, you haven't gone into an institution and said help? No. I have a few times and I found the staff really helpful and empathetic and yeah, it's a real journey because you're really on your knees when you go into a rehab and you need that support and encouragement. Okay, on well my current work, I'm working in a, in a local treatment centre that works with all addictions, uh, not just addictions but di- um, mental disorders and we find that they come hand in hand. Regardless, so people will come in with a presenting uh, problem or an issue, and as they start to unpack their lives, it's clear that they go, "Shit, I'm identifying with codependency. I'm identifying. Yep, there's depression in there. There's depression, anxiety. Then there's obviously other. They've been diagnosed with uh, bipolar. So there's different other disorders that generally come with addiction. So that's where I'm working. I've been there for maybe five years, and I've worked through where I'm running groups in there float they call it a float therapist role so running groups and doing some one-on-ones i run the constellation workshop i do the men's group i do other things in the facility so just a bit of a mixture in there so you were a client at the facility you're now working in sure so i can you tell us how you got to be a client there sure so i was a client there uh 16 years and a few months ago and you know, I have a history of addiction. Um, you know, there's been addiction in my family, but me personally, there was a struggle. I mean, I, you know, from 12 years old, I mean, I always seemed to struggle, moving through struggle my whole life at times for different reasons. But from 12, I just, you know, I remember sneaking out the, win- the window at home and, you know, uh, having a packet of camel cigarettes and just chasing that headspin. And I was chasing that from that age so then I started smoking pot and then chemicals came into my to my life so by the end of school I was using chemicals on a daily basis and then from school chemicals chemical amphetamines was my 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 thing obviously it must have got worse from the end of high school to the time you went to South Pacific um how how bad did it get and why did you feel the need to go to somewhere like South Pacific I just trusted in myself, you know, it was it wasn't it wasn't easy for me growing up, you know, when I first started smoking dope and 
and using drugs, it was the first time that I actually felt comfortable in my skin to talk to girls and, you know, to be social in that way. I was quite on my own, you know, and so drugs sort of worked for me back then and they continued to work for me through throughout my life. And, you know, if we talk about the progression and we start to use more and they and they they don't work as, as yeah. much and, and then we get to a point, well, for me, I got to a point, like 15, I was quite suicidal uh, for a period. and um, Was and, there an incident around that or was it just drug use? No, look, I... You know, I come from, you know, a family where, you know, there's there was lots of love, but there was also a lot of secrets. But I, I remember in, when I went into the treatment centre, I for a week and a half, my detox was really quiet. I couldn't sleep yeah. for quite some time, and I was just in the fetal crying. And that was just me. I was like in a ball mm-hmm. crying. It was like this overload of emotion. I didn't even know what it was about. didn't make sense. But that was my experience of a detox. It was very little. It took me about a week to start sleeping into a decent pattern. Yeah. And it was physical. And my understanding is different for everyone. Based on personality type, mixture of drugs, all sorts of their, you know, we're very, we're the same, but we're very different. Existing me- mental state, things like that, yeah. where they're at in their lives. You're History, young. All sorts of things, I think. Yeah. So I guess like when you're in crying in that fetal, like that fetal state that you're talking about, I've... I find that really interesting because, um, you know, I've, I guess I've used a lot of alcohol as well in the past. And, um, when, uh, you're coming down off a big weekend or something like that, you just feel like every ounce of happiness, even if you had a really good weekend, like, and you say you drank from Friday to Sunday and you didn't stop drinking, but then Sunday night or Monday morning, you start to come down and you feel like every ounce of happiness you've used on that weekend Mm -hmm. and then your body's drained of of like serotonin and all these kind of chemicals we know that um, play a big part in, in substances. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that that way or did you, was it just more of a, a state you were already in and you were ready to kind of like let it all out at that point? Uh, to be honest, it's a while back now and it was a bit of a blurry, detox was a bit blurry. All I know is that there was a lot of pain, a lot of emotional pain, a lot of mental pain. But just trusting like for the first time my whole life that I was actually doing the right thing. So it's hard for me to be actually to remember too much around my detox, other than I just remember I was curled up, I couldn't sleep, and uh, it just took a, a period mm. of time to. In your in your work now, when people are detoxing, do you see them at detox stage or before or after, or what's your role there's, there? There's a mixture. So so clients will come in and then they will come into detox, uh, and then there'll be a period of adjustment through into the treatment center through their detox clients a lot of clients detox specifically uh before they choose to do a home detox they choose to do that and there are other specific uh treatment centers which cater just to have clients detox so there's a whole mixture of people coming in having said having said that there's you know it's not all about drugs and alcohol and people come in with different addictions and um disorders so they can arrive differently into program and and it's different for everyone. Yeah, um, I, I, we'll get more into that, Pete. But just chronologically, um, you know, you've had you had a, a, an experience of addiction, and you've you, you you did something about it a long time ago, um, and now you've found yourself working in that area. Can you explain um, a little bit about that journey and why 
Was it because you had the experience and you seek to know about it or you felt as though you had something to offer to someone else or why was it that you had this intense experience of using and detox and now working in that space? Yeah, it's a good question. I I just sort of got to trust my trust myself that I'm heading in the right direction, firstly. And uh, it's the first time in like 42 years that I can do it, so honestly say that. And I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I know I'm heading in the right direction. You know, I think my experience of, you know, having a, a, a few struggles in early childhood, in, in, in adolescent years, you know, having experience of addiction and, and working on, on, on that part of my journey. Also, too, you know, having having a couple of, you know, half of my family ripped away as well you know there's also I've got you know some sort of like passion around being there for someone else having gone through like a really intense grieving process still in it you know and my understanding of grief it's never going to end so but but doing my own work in those different areas which is all going to be ongoing it's somehow giving me some sort of sense that I you know that I want to be there for other people why is the addiction or recovery industry so big right now and do you think the government and facilities go the right way about actually reforming addicts no oh, i i sorry i, I might have misunderstood your question i have a, i have a lot of energy to, like, if you look at the institutions like the corrective institutions in the jail like uh, most of you know it's it's unfortunate you know i i, I have no doubt that everyone that's end up doing time has got some sort of past and and my understanding is that 95 percent of why people are in jail are are to do with drug related uh crime whether they've been using themselves or it's been a drug related crime so i think that most of our struggles in society today are directly pointed at addiction how do we go about it that's why i had a bit of energy with my answers was no how do i go about it uh I think we're going about it the right way, and that's just my personal opinion. I think so much time, energy, and effort is going down this end when there's so much of a there's a gap around the preventative nature of and looking at why rather than. So you're saying like once people are already there at the station, that's when metaphorically that's when people um, get off the train and say, "Hey, come here and like get better." And but there's not enough uh, at the under, other end of the line saying, "Hey." Don't get on this train to begin with. Don't. Is that what you what you mean? Yeah, par- partially. If I'm understanding your question right. Yeah, sorry, it's a bad metaphor. <laughs> that's, that's okay. <laughs> Look, if I'm understanding, I think that you know, I think you know whether it's sex education, whether it's drugs, whether it's relationships, you know, general important life skills stuff around connection in the world. Like to me, it's all about being in contact with people, and it's all about relationships. And none of that is really... I think it's starting to come into schools like from an education point of view now, but I think that's a big part of what's missing there. It's like there's this there's this educational stuff that's missing out. I've just looked at some stats in the last uh, few weeks and it seems like you know, substances like ice and um, alcohol are on the actually on the rise, not, on the, not in the fall. fall. Um, why does Australia um, seem to be... I guess, suffering more addiction, especially with substances these days from someone who works in your field, do you think? Well, firstly, I don't think it's Australia. I think it's, I think it's a global problem. It's a definite global problem. If you look in Western and America and, you know, there are reports from some European countries, my understanding is that, that they're decriminalising and le- legalising some drugs and it's having a positive flow on. 
but it's all around the world. I don't think it's we're isolated here. Um, and I just think it's there's a lot of factors which, I mean, I'm not that expert. I haven't done the research, but intuitively for me, it's like there are a lot of factors which uh, result in why where we're at. And it's the educational stuff. It's the it's the struggles with kids early on. It's like what's missing out early on. What's not being provided early on. You know what do they need early on for them to miss this period and then find us some sort of solution. And through here, it's like what about the young children? And it, and it, then it comes back to the responsibility of parents and families. I mean, I think there's more energy and effort that needs to go there. Yeah, Pete, if we just get back to your experience working um, in the industry, you know, it's a cold term. I, I think it's kind of more than that for you. Um, working there, what the, the type of patients that present, um, you must see an incredible diversity. Um, every single person at your institution, and it's a big institution, there'd be, you know, 50, 60, 70 people there at any one time. Um, presenting in all kinds of ways. What's your, first of all, can you explain, give us two examples of the extreme levels of addiction that present and what you think they have in common? Well, firstly, from my experience working in this industry is that, I mean, there's two parts. My understanding, in the last 10 years, they can see a genetic factor they can see the technology around the brain they can see addiction in the brain so there's a genetic disposition for addiction now so um there's a genetic which is the nature and nurture debate but um you know regardless all clients that come into treatment you know with my work with those clients there's always something that's happened through their life or struggle through their life in order for them to... I mean, it makes sense to a lot of clients as a, as a result of this and then addiction followed soon after. So most clients that I have contact with, there's always a story to be told, which for most of them, they leave, well, that makes sense to me. It makes mm. sense that I found solace in drugs and alcohol or, or whatever addiction. Yeah, but I mean, you, you don't have to be an addict to have a traumatic story in your past, but you don't pick up. Um, why did the clients that you see have a traumatic story? They bring it to you and you can help them to see why maybe they use drugs today. Why do some people have trauma and have a horrific upbringing and don't use drugs? And some people that do use drugs? Well, to be honest, I'm yet to meet someone that's had a horrific upbringing that hasn't ended up in some sort of destructive behavior or addiction. And look, addiction would mean different things for different people. You know, addiction, there are a lot of every, we can classify any behavior out there from buying something at Coles to having sex with your partner to using drugs or alcohol, walking into a casino. You know, there's lots of behaviors. Any sort of behavior can become addictive. Mm. And to me, I have those behaviors in my life today, and that's the difference. There's the addictive behavior, but letting it get out of to a point where it becomes it takes over it then becomes the addiction but i'm yet to meet anyone that's had a horrific upbringing that hasn't struggled mm. and ended up in some sort of addiction or mental or mental disorder and i think that from where from where we're treating people whether someone will come in and and um and and share their horrendous story of depression which is all about isolation. It's all about 
aloneness. It's all about internalizing and thinking. It's all about the, but the behaviors all around that are very similar to what a recovering addict might share Mm. around poor food, no exercise, you know, all Mm. of those general self important self care stuff. So someone might have um, a very similar story here, but they'll end up gravitating into Mm. being really, really bipolar or really, really into a heavy depression yeah. or a story. And some people gravitate to an addiction. I, yeah. I haven't got the I haven't got the answer yeah. to that. Yeah. But I mean how do you treat someone that comes in, someone with a gambling addiction and then someone with a heroin addiction, they're all in the same facility, assuming getting a similar type of treatment, but it's very different backgrounds, very different stories. How do you treat that's that kind of difference? Yeah. Look, they my my in my experience working there, they might have different back. Everyone has a different background and everyone has a different story. But the underlying needs, the underlying core human needs are, on, are in sync with each other. Mm-hmm. From early childhood or, or later on, there's been a miss of love and connection or appropriate love and connection. So they might have a different, they might be, have different cultural backgrounds, they might have different. Uh, you know where they've lived, or you know, some yeah. a family might have come from the war and and one not. Yeah. But underlying, they've missed out on something yeah. along the way, and and the similarities in that, that that those two people, one of them might have gone gravitated towards heroin, and someone yeah. might have you know become a big punter or yeah. gone into gambling addiction. Yeah. But underlying, they've still missed out on those core fundamentals yeah. of. Um, you know, of what all human needs. Which goes back to your earlier point about uh, development and education around those early days being really important about these things. I think so. Yeah. But, I mean, how do you explain, like, siblings? Like, uh, my siblings, um, I've got three brothers, and none of them have presented with uh, addiction issues, yet I, I have had addiction issues throughout my life. Uh, it's a good question. I think... They might not have had addiction issues. I, I ask them, are they truly 100% happy? Mm. I ask them, are they truly, could they better themselves as people? Um, you know, I think that there's, I mean, there's being a human being, we're, 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 we're imperfect creatures. We've all got our shit and we've mm. all got our histories. And I think for me, life is about that spiritual growth. I think mm. that's what life's about. So I don't know. What you just said then um, hit on something for me. So do you think um, humans are almost um, predisposed to addiction in general, predisposed to um, disorders like as a part of being human? Yes. And can you explain some of that well, to I me? Can only, when I say yes strongly, because I personally think that like, it's a very, very interesting, mysterious world with like how this has all come about, you know? So, but my personal, my heart says that this, everything has happened for me in my life is to bring me right to this point, you know, and it's about, this is my journey, you know, powerless over everything that's happened to me, but not powerless over what I can do about it. This is, and for me, it's about my purse, just my opinion is it, is that it's about spiritual growth and change. And I think people, it's like, yeah, things happen for a reason. Things happen for a reason. And I haven't got the answers to that, but for me, it's like, yeah, mm. You know, because addiction for me has been about survival and it's been about me learning who I am and and what I want to do and it's brought me to this point. In your travels, you must have seen some quite miraculous personal stories of people 
having a realization about where they are and changing their life and becoming like a really positive person from a very negative background. I see it all the time. I see shifts and change with clients all the time. I think, you know, for some clients, I think anything positive, you know, for a heroin addict to come in that's been using for 30 years, that's come in from the street, for them to get two days clean is a miracle. And who knows what happens after that two days, but it gives them an opportunity in that two days for some sort of shift to happen and for them for to get three days and to keep moving forward. And, you know, I don't know, the statistics out there, I see it all the time, clients shifting and changing and, and you know, even for clients to come in to treatment is a, is a miraculous, brave thing. It's, it's about surrender that there's some level that they need help and they want to change. Having said that, I know that there's clients that have leave, left treatment and died. Mm. My, you know, I've had a lot of close friends that have died. I've had a lot of close friends that have committed suicide as mm. a result of this, and mm. I haven't got the answers to that. Mm. But it's, but my question, I suppose, back to you is that it, you know, it has given them an opportunity, and I wonder, maybe that's for those people. That's that's what they were meant to get was that opportunity in this life. I don't know, but I wonder if they. I imagine that they would have never gotten an opportunity and a small chance of that small growth if they didn't do something initially. Mm. So they're still mm. moving forward. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I see, I see miracles all the time. Yeah. Why do some people choose to continue to use, and some people say, "I've had enough"? If we're able to get in touch with those people and get the answer to that, I think it would be a really interesting. And I don't think we're meant to know. I think I don't mm. know. Mm. I think that, you know, it is the statistics in addiction are scary. Like, um, I think at where I work, the statistics are pretty positive and it's got a very good reputation and it's really like it's one of Australia's leading, if not number one, treatment centre. And because mm. of the work we do, it's quite unique and the statistics are very different. But from my understanding from just generally in the, when you talk about addiction in society, you know, very few people, you know, an addiction in society is a very grey scale and people will classify as being really in serious, heavy, life-threatening addiction and people will be on this other scale as in addiction and functioning mm-hmm. and still potentially life-threatening. So addiction mm-hmm. on the scale would be, you know, it's a yeah. very grey thing. Yeah, do you believe someone, a previous guest mentioned... Um, a, a kind of addiction spectrum, like almost like an autism spectrum, Do you, that, that there are very uh, severe strains of it and, and, and lesser strains of the same kind of behavioural issues. Do you agree with that idea? I sort of do, yeah. That's what I was trying to explain. Like I'm just the word that, that I heard they use a spectrum, I just said a scale. Like it's a very grey area. It's a very individual experience. Like what I understand addiction for me would maybe quite different for other people based on their experience underlying i think we can all identify with a lot but because we're different people we're going to have some differences in there and that's okay and yeah absolutely it's it's um you know i know a lot of people that it's based on their history and their you know their life and their drug addiction over a period of time it would be huge to to uh, break the the cycles, especially I think as people get older, I think it becomes harder. The way that the government treat addiction, the way they fund it, and also the way that um, I guess they push out messages in the media um, about how you know addiction being or addicts 
um, being like an illness or you see these ads where people are on ice, you know, chemicals, as you put it, um, and they look like zombies and they're, you know, like it's just the way that addicts are treated by the wider community and by the government, I think they're treated like second-class citizens. What are, you, are your thoughts around that? Unfortunately, with that society, there is a stigma that's attached to that. Stay away from the addict. Mm. You know, they're no good. Do you, do you think as in your, um, in your uh, life, have you ever, and especially in your job now, um, have you ever um, met anyone who you can tell being an addict weighs down on them and they get ostracized and that's, that's really been a big element of, of, of them getting clean and... Um, I think, I imagine so. I imagine it forms a part of it about wanting to get clean because they're over with the stigma and the, the shame which would be attached to that and and the thoughts that come with that. I imagine it's a part of it, but I imagine it's a big underlying package of reasons to why if someone wants to do something about change, that's, that would form a part of it. Mm. So um, I guess the other side of, it, of that is... Um, health and, and hospitals and, and government-funded institutions, what can they do better, do you think, to actually uh, tackle this problem? Well, I know that there's a, there's a, lot, of private, um, there's a lot of private treatment centres out there which obviously, um, you know, uh, they're private businesses and they work really well. And I think the government having the private health option is a fantastic way of supporting that. And it gives people an opportunity to do something about it. So there is help for everyone, regardless of where they're at. You know, there's no reason to why they can't join a health fund and, you know, and and jump in there into the private institutions. My understanding is that with public um, institutions, there's a bit of a waiting game. I think addiction's going to happen regardless, but it's about providing the educations and tools so. Because I think, you know, if my understanding is if the kids grow up in a really functional, healthy, supportive home with available parents, um, with, um, you know, really a lot of love and support when the shit happens, because shit happens, then kids get to learn how to love and support and nurture themselves as they grow up. So when addictions, you know, my understanding is that everyone, all kids are going to experiment with drugs. Like it's a part of life, it's through life. But my understanding is that, you know, that the, those kids that have been, you know, have had this particular different sort of upbringing, when it comes to the point, they're actually going to, okay, okay, I've done that and I'm going to actually choose this. Yeah, which is healthy. Well, which is the more functional, mm. healthy way of going about things. Mm, mm, mm. And then there's, a, there's the kids that, you know, that are going to have their, come from a different, different life. Uh, whatever that looks like and means, and they're going to choose, oh, shit. Because I remember the first time I, I thought, fuck, this is, it was like I could suddenly, it was like I became, I come alive. Mm. And it's just, you know, I just continue to move down that, that road. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, Pete, you, you, you said before, um, you have mentioned to me the idea that you can get addicted to anything. Can you expand on that idea a bit? Yeah, so for me, because I have this, this I don't know if you call it, if, if I've got the genes, I, I, I definitely know, I think I do because I've got this, I've always had this addictive personality, like put a bowl of ice cream in front of me and not only is that finished quickly, the whole tub's gone. Like buy a box of ice blocks. Oh, that's my partner. <laughs> buy a box of ice blocks, they're all gone, you know, so 
But there are, you know, in relation to spending, I can, if I've got a few, it's all gone. So I have to be really wary and stay uh, in touch with the appropriateness and the healthy balance with a lot of those things, which we, we all need to spend money, we all need to eat, and we all need to have sex. So, you know, it's about learning moderation, those potentially addictive areas or behavioral stuff. For me, it's an absolute black and white. It is an absolute bottom line around specific addictions like drugs and alcohol, because I know that um, it's been proven, you know, that once someone has that first one, their brain's gone. Their thinking is gone. It's They can see the brain changing and firing differently. So for me, it's a bottom line. Punting is the same thing. It's yeah. a bottom line. In fact, with all this new technology, they can actually, they've done studies looking at people playing poker machines and punting yeah. and people doing cocaine coke, yeah and they fire in exactly the same exactly way. the same way yeah, yeah. Uh, i mentioned that in in uh, earlier in an earlier yeah. episode um yeah really interesting stuff yeah. yeah so so with some addictions it's an absolute bottom line you know but when it comes to gaming or watching tv like i could watch if i if yeah. i'm feeling a little bit flat or if i'm in conflict with my partner or something you know, if I, you know, because I have this depression, or well, not depression these days, I'd call it a flatness. I'm also in recovery from depression as well, because that forms a, bit, a lot of my past. But I'd call it a flatness. I can find myself watching Netflix for eight hours mm-hmm. without any dramas. That's at all. a lot. Of, that's a lot of till and and a lot of Netflix. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> you know, so there are certain behaviours which I. But watching TV is important for me. Mm-hmm. After a big day, it's like for an hour I come home and unwind and I connect with my partner. Mm-hmm. So that's an important part. Eating food's really important, but I need to eat healthy. You know. Going to the gym, I need to have some sort of moderation there. Otherwise, if I go, fucking, fuck it, let's go smash it, smash it, smash it, I'm going to end up hurting myself. Yeah. You know, same with my relational stuff. It needs to be brought in, Mm. you know, there's a lot of balance Mm. which is required. But some addictions is like an absolute... And when you look at those addictions, there's absolutely no payoff Mm. in it. Mm. Like, there's no payoff. Even with, you know, even with the drugs and alcohol, the gambling, there's no payoff. Gambling, you're proven to lose. Drugs, you, 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 there's brain damage. And you know, you're proven you're not being to really lose on another your, level. So addictions, in a way, for me, is like when you look at those extremes, you're taking yourself away from you, mm. from that true self, from the emotional stuff, from the connection and the relational mm. stuff. It's escape, like escapism. escapism. Yeah. yeah. Escaping like, from that. And I think self. that's, for me, that was one of the things that I actually realized that I was escaping I was escaping, um, you know, the world that I lived in to go and have a punt or, you know, or go and get shit-faced or, mm. you know. And and now, I, I mean, thankfully, I, I, you know, I can, I, can, I can go out and do those things and it's not a problem for me. But it took me a long time to get to that point. Yeah. yeah. So, so that fits for me. And, and in my words, it would be taking me away from my uncomfortable reality. Mm. Mm. Just a final uh, question from me, Pete, regarding what you've talked about today and the thing that stood out to me the most and the idea of what causes these behave- these extreme behaviours goes back, and I think it can be reflected in all our guests up to date, um, childhood, um, problems at home, lack of support. Even though there's been a lot of love and a lot of um, support in, at different times, there was something missing. Do you personally feel that this is one of the prime causes of someone who abuses any one of these things we've been talking about today? It plays a big role. It's a big factor. You know, there is a genetic disposition involved, and I just worked with a client recently, 
in a in a in a in a nutshell to answer your question generally yes but just to give you you know i've been working with a client and they've had a they had a really really lovely childhood a lot of support from mum and dad a lot of support from primary caregivers felt really nurtured at home so it became really clear with the group that that was is a quite a different uh, presentation and yet she was in treatment um looking at a, a, a you know addiction that had got out of control so we started looking and asking questions back and all of a sudden she shares that oh shit dad's dad mum and dad weren't drinkers but actually dad's parents were alcoholics number 1 so there's a genetic disposition Having said that, my understanding is that even if you've had a functional upbringing, there is a genetic potential disposition, but you still need an event to carry it off. You still need a life, a massive... You might have this in your brain, but you still need a significant event, and that's what happened with her. She had this event that happened where she had a a big part of her passion in her life was ripped away with injury, and work was ripped away. So there was this massive hole in grief and loss, and as a result of the pain medication that followed, she developed that hmm. addiction that came as a result of this massive grief and loss. But she already had it inside. In your work, like you must have one kind of point that you keep on going back to with your clients um, in, in getting them better. Like, you know, obviously there must be one thing that you, you feel they non-negotiable have to have to do to get to get clean what what do you do you have something like that and if so what is it well i just you know i just try and be as real as i can and uh, you know be appropriate with my disclosure you know because i'm there for them i'm not there directly for me and it sort of works around that anyway but i you know in my realness i say to to everyone this is fucking life and death shit man it's life and death so it's we either you're either going to find a way to take this seriously you know or come back when you're ready mm. first and foremost because like, there are a lot of people that are in there wanting to take it seriously and other, obviously other people get sent in by partners yeah. ultimatums do you feel like you have to be ready for rehab and and for things like that and to actually do you have to be mentally be at that point look some people are really ready and want to be there on their own some people get sent in by their partners and there's no mistakes if they're sent in by their partners there's something there for them and whether they choose to reach out and grab what's there, then that's their journey and it's our job to try and support them to find out what's there and grab it. But, you know, I have seen clients that come in and go, I don't need to be here, I don't want to be here, my missus, it's, I don't want to separate. And by the end of treatment, they've gone, Shit, I'm, i actually got a fucking problem. I need help, I've got a problem, and I'm going to commit to this. And they've actually let that relationship ties go and they've actually connected. So there are never any mistakes. You know, whether someone wants to be there on their own or someone gets sent in by the courts, it gives them an opportunity in that moment and process in treatment to move where they're going to get to in order to go to where they're going to go. Or where they want to go, ultimately. Or where they, where they choose to go. go yeah. 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 Great. Uh, thank you for your time, Peter. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Great to have you on Sympathy for the Devil. Thanks, guys. join the discussion visit our facebook page sympathy for the devil podcast and let us know what you think